0: there, and guess what? You have found another episode of Speakernomics, the podcast about becoming a better speaker and building a better business. I'm your host, Tom Singer, and every week, I get to speak to some of the best people in the speaking of business about how we can do more and make more money. And today, our guest is Andrew Davis. Hey, Andrew, welcome to Speakernomics.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Tom. This is fun. I'm ready to speaker-nomic it. <laughs> so today we're gonna talk about the science behind building a
0: speaking business. So what are two tips that you have for speakers about how to embrace this science around building a business?
1: I've got two simple tips for everybody out there. Number one, track everything, like every piece of data or insight you can gather about your speaking business, track it, put it in a spreadsheet. And that leads me to number two, love the numbers. My tip is to embrace the numbers. I know a lot of speakers don't want to talk about numbers or spreadsheets and stuff, but it is the key to your success. And the more you enjoy it, the more you'll get out of it. All right, well, I'm really excited about
0: this interview. It sounds like we're going to have a lot of fun talking about the numbers and the science behind building a speaking business. And for those of you who don't know Andrew Davis, Andrew is somebody he he worked in television. He worked for NBC. He actually worked for the Muppets and he ran a marketing business for a long time that he sold in 2012. And now he writes books and he speaks and he's an all around nice guy. So. Andrew, before we get into sort of the, the, the science and the numbers, let's go backwards. How did you get into the speaking business at all?
1: Yeah. So I, Tom, I was running an agency, uh, a marketing agency, and we had tried all sorts of other marketing efforts. You know, we'd, we'd, uh, you know, sent out direct mail pieces. We'd gone to networking events. We mem- became members of associations and we wanted to grow our business. And we, we tried advertising all sorts of stuff. We created our own podcast, uh, back in 2005 or something. Uh, and none of it was really generating the business we wanted. Uh, and I happened to go to an event. I was there early and some, some, the event, organizer actually said, Hey, you know, somebody is canceled for the 10 o'clock breakout session. I don't even know who you are, but I'm desperate to have someone speak at 10 o'clock. And I was like, well, what's the topic? And they're like, doesn't matter. It's like, do you have a presentation you can give? And I thought, well, I can put one together. So I skipped the morning keynote. I went upstairs to my room and I like put together a presentation as fast as I could, uh, you know, use some stuff we'd used for clients before. And then I went in and uh, presented for 45 minutes. It was a whirlwind 45 minutes that I don't really recall, but right Right after it, literally while I was trying to pack up my laptop, three people came up and said, that was amazing. Like, what do you do? And I was like, well, we run an agency. And they said, do you do what you just talked about? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, we want to talk. And I thought, well, this is probably a good lead gen strategy. So over the next few years, we did a lot of, in fact, it became our best business um, lead gen strategy was actually speaking uh, all over the country. And when I sold the agency looking for something to do, I thought, well, I'll just keep speaking, um, but I'd never done it as a business. You know, I mean, as a lead gen tool, it's one thing, you know, you're just looking at the big dollars on the other side of the speaking gig. Uh, but when I, when it came down to actually building a business around it, I had a lot to learn and I didn't realize that uh, in 2014.
0: <laughs> no, no, that's, that, that's great. I always say that if you interview a hundred speakers, you're going to find a hundred different paths of how they found their way into this that's crazy, true. into this crazy speaking business. Now, before we that's can, right. before we can jump into today's show, I have to ask, ask you about the Muppets so you worked for the Muppets not not everybody has you know Kermit and Piggy as their boss what did you do what did you do in television for the Muppets
1: yeah, so I worked in the the workshop where they made all the puppets for Sesame Street and all the Muppets for all the other Muppet stuff that we were working on. I worked at I worked there in the late 90s. So I was working on really, really reputable movies like uh Elmo and Grouchland, which is not that good. Uh Muppets from Space, also not that good. <laughs> I have the I have the we did work on Bear in the Big Blue, Blue House. That was the the kind of really, you know, fine piece of work we were doing when I was there. The best part of working at the Muppets, though, uh was actually I met my wife. There, So she she actually worked with all the Muppeteers and did all their contracts and stuff. So we got to, to know each other through work and uh, we've been together ever since. It's been and, awesome.
0: And I just want to clarify, your wife is a human, not a Muppet. Is that correct?
1: <laughs> yes, yes, that's right.
0: Wouldn't that be great? Just, just making sure that she was a <laughs> real, a real human. I just wanted to make that's sure right. of that. So, you yeah, have a you have a new book out that's called The Referrable Speaker that you co-authored with Michael Port. And this book has been sort of taking the speaking industry by by stride and Oh, that's nice. and and part of it ties into directly what we're talking about today, sort of the science behind building a speaking business. So before we jump into your tips, can you tell us a little bit about the message in The Referrable Speaker?
1: Yeah, sure. It's pretty straightforward. I mean, the the idea in the book is that uh, you know one keynote might get you, you know, uh, uh, like w- one gig might be great, but you want to get gigs that get you more gigs. Um, and if you can build a speech that actually is designed to get you referrals, or we call them stage side leads in the book, because very often they happen stage side or right after you turn off your virtual camera, you know, those leads start coming in, uh, the, then you can build a really sustainable business. Like the whole goal of the book with Michael and I sat down and said, is it possible to build a formula that would help you build a sustainable Speaking career, and we spent about two and a half years trying to figure out if that was the case. And we don't know if we found the whole formula, but we definitely think we we found we've cracked you know a big piece of the code um, to building a sustainable speaking career. If you focus first on the speech um, instead of you know spending a lot of time marketing, um, you can reap the benefits if you know uh, by getting a lot of stage side leads and building a big, bigger business that way.
0: Well, and, and I'm a big believer. I've read the book, and I'm a big believer, uh, you know, you're, you're speaking to the choir in that. When I look back over 12 years as a professional speaker, the one thing that really stands out in my own career is how much of it came from someone seeing me speak and then either directly hiring me or referring me to somebody else. So I've done all kinds of other marketing and all kinds of things, and yet it was always get on stage, and then one or two things would come from that particular, uh, that's that right. particular speech. So.
1: That's right. Yeah. Like one of those numbers that you should fall in love with is try to try to measure the number of stage side leads you get from every single gig. And you should know your average number over time. So like, you know, if you, my goal is to try to get four stage side leads from every gig. And right now my average is a little slow. Actually, I'm at like 1.55. I get an email every Monday that tells me how many stage side leads I'm getting. And so you want to, you know, you, you want to set your own goal, but you need to know that number and know if your speech is getting better or getting worse is the market changing because the only way to know that is how many stage side leads you're getting um because you're predicting the business down the path right down the pike 6 12 18 months from now so track those stage side leads that's number one number one (laughs) the first number you should track
0: well and and i want to jump right into that but i will just add the fact that i know having not been on stage very much uh even virtually for 18 months, my referral loop, as I call it, uh, is, is sort of damaged. So, my next few speeches yeah. that I'm doing, I'm taking into effect everything you said in the book so that I can try to maximize uh, that spin off. Yes.
1: Sorry. There you go. Yeah. You got to, and, and measure those stage side leads. You got to make sure, Tom, when you get off stage, you know how many you're looking for.
0: So, this leads us directly into your tip. So, your first tip is track everything and we know one of the things to track is the stage size leads but you said track everything (laughs) everything everything sounds huge so let's
1: talk about tracking your numbers (laughs) yes well you should track i mean like i don't know what you use maybe use a google sheet or maybe you have some sort of uh you know more sophisticated kind of like platform that you use as crm or maybe use a notion database whatever you use uh start tracking as much as you can stomach tracking that means like write down every inbound inquiry you get like even if you can't do it i want you to put down what dates that event was supposed to happen and if you're unavailable you're unavailable that's okay Market is. Is unavailable. You want to build a system where you're you're constantly adding more and more data so that you can start to understand some really basic things like when are you the busiest? Because when you're the busiest is probably when you should raise your fee. When are you the slowest? Well that's when you should drop your fee so you can still get business and make your speech better and potentially get some stage side leads, but you don't need to charge as much because the demand is low during those types of years. So like the first thing you want to try to understand by tracking all this stuff is when are you in in most, the, like the highest demand. And so you, you can just do that by just tracking the dates the inquiries come in and then the inquiries, you know, the dates they're inquiring about. Does that make sense, Tom?
0: Yeah. So it, it's interesting because one of the things that you said, and this is kind of off of the tips, but I want to draw attention to it, is that sometimes in a career, You might have to drop your fee because maybe your topic has changed, maybe society has changed, maybe, you know, whatever your, you know, demographic of your client is, they're not looking for, you know, your type of speech. And therefore, to stay active, maybe you do have a year or a season, if you will, where where you drop that speech. And what's interesting is that's not advice we hear very much in the speaker world. It's raise your fee, raise your fee, you know, get to $4 billion a speech. And it's like. But if the market's not paying it, how do you adjust? And by tracking all of this, you're able to make really smart decisions around fees. But before we go on to other things we track, let's talk about that, that sometimes maybe it's smart to drop your fees because I haven't heard anyone else say that.
1: I'm a big believer in the fact that your fee is is not like a set fee. Like, yes, you you have what I call a Quotable fee. So if somebody comes up to you on the street and says, "How much do you charge for a keynote speech?" I say, "I charge X, Y, and Z for the day." Like that's that's I always say that. And so I have a fee, and you know, every year I do try to increase my quotable fee so that I'm asking for more. But I think we should be much much quicker to understand the market dynamics and and be able to quote a fee at the end of the day, deliver a, a product and a proposal that's based on exactly what the audience needs and what your demand is. So for Example, I know the busiest day of, of the year for me speaking every single week is a Wednesday. So, anytime an inquiry comes in for a Wednesday, I'm more likely to quote my my highest fee for Wednesdays. But if, a, if an inquiry comes in for Sunday, which is the, the lowest day, or a Monday, which is like the second lowest day, I'm more likely to drop my fee immediately because it's unlikely I'm going to get another gig on that Monday or Sunday. So, I might as well do the gig, make some revenue, get some stage side leads, and build the business in the future. So I think dynamic, dynamic pricing, um, or you could think of it as like Uber's surge pricing, is a much smarter way to think about your business. So yes, you should be willing to lower your fee and be willing to raise your fee. Like in September, the third week in September is the busiest week of the year, every single year. And so I'm not willing to negotiate. In fact, I'm, tr- I'm more likely to charge more than my quotable fee for those weeks during the year. And so the more you think about tracking the information... So, you know, the answers to these questions, the better you can put together a proposal that protects your business and builds sustainability over time.
0: So I, I actually think this is fabulous advice. I love this idea of dynamic pricing. I mean, if you think about the Uber, Uber surge pricing, if you will, yes, you know, it. it really is so often people think, oh, I have to hang on to this. And then for whatever reason, they're leaving business on the table. But if they're able to know the reason of why. It's, you know, it's there that, that, hey, maybe you can negotiate on this particular time of year, but not that time of year. It's actually a really smart way to keep your calendar full. And there's two reasons. One is exactly making some money is better than making no money. And the second thing is, if you're doing this right and you're speaking, that's going to go to that referable stage side refer, um. opportunities, then what's going to happen is you're going to get more things down the line. So that's, that's real interesting. So what else should we be tracking? We talked about, you know, tracking the number of leads you're getting, uh, the number of
1: inquiries,
0: what dates you're busy, what else should we be tracking?
1: You should track, you should track how, how, like what percentage of the gigs you lose. This is a good one. We're always eager to tell people how many gigs we did, how many, uh, you know, how many gigs we're doing this year. We, we probably know how, uh, you know, the gigs we won, but very often we don't pay attention to the gigs we lost and the gigs, the, the, knowing the number of gigs you lost and the ratio of gigs to one and gigs to lost, will tell you how demand you are in the marketplace, but also tell you if you're pricing yourself, right, because. If you know the reasons you're losing these gigs, for example, I track, you know, I'm unavailable, so I couldn't do the gig, I was already booked, or I was price, price was a concern, that means I was too high, um, or they, you know, changed direction, they decided to choose somebody else. Um, I track all those reasons when we lose a gig so that we can look back and say, Look, let's just look at the ones we lost for price. What fee did we quote them? How much was, how many did we lose? And what's the ratio of that to one? And when you know that, you you want to try to lose 50% of your gigs at your quotable fee, because that means some people are still buying about half, right? Are still buying at that fee. And some can't afford you at that fee. That's great. If everybody can afford you at that fee and you're closing a hundred percent of your gigs then no one says you're too, you're too expensive. That means you do need to raise your fee, but the opposite is also true. If you lose 90% of your gigs because you're cost too much, well, then you need to change your fee structure to reflect that and try to keep that demand in balance so you're shooting for losing 50 percent of your gigs every time you you get a gig inquiry how's it, does that is that's a good one to track
0: no in fact that's some. i'm i'm not a numbers guy so everything you're talking about i'm nodding yeah. along thinking i'm not like you andrew however i am an old sales guy so i do track my wins to losses and i can tell you that pre-pandemic i was winning about 50 percent When people would really, when people were really considering me. And the way I defined really considering me is they had a date. And a budget. Now I wasn't tracking it to the yeah. nth degree that you were like, maybe I lost it for price. Maybe I lost it cause they wanted to go with somebody else, whatever. Oh. I wasn't, I wasn't tracking the reasons, but I was winning 50% of the time and I was tracking how many speakers are in the running. So I would always ask, you know, what's oh, the competition? And they always, it was always two or three speakers. Nobody ever said, well, there's yeah. 19 speakers. We're choosing, Right. Color. Right. <laughs> you know, so yeah. if there were yeah. always two or three, then my odds should have been a little under half. But I knew I was closing just about half. So I I felt like, okay, my sales skills were okay. I I was doing that. So I, I think that is something that I do track. Uh, but that's now you've good. got me tracking. Now you've got me thinking about tracking the reason I didn't get it. And that will The last up. reasoning.
1: Yeah. The last reasoning is so helpful because you'll, you'll start to get a good reflection of where you can either improve. Like, let's say they, they keep telling you they changed the direction or chose another speaker. Um, I'm doing air quotes for the people that are listening to the podcast and can't see me, but if they chose another speaker, which you hear a lot, right? It doesn't even matter which speaker to be totally honest at this point, but just track that that's the case. Well, that means you need to do a better job of providing your value value to the event organizer. And and to be totally frank, when it's a stage side lead, if it's a referral, someone who's either seen you speak or heard, you know, was referred by someone who saw you speak uh, either inside or outside of the company, those will close faster at higher fees more often than anything else. So you'll start and you'll start to see that in the numbers, but you'll also see an opportunity to improve when you've got the last reason attached. So that's, that's a really good one.
0: Another thing I ask everybody who who comes, you know, kind of through the thing is how did you hear about me? So I do actually track that, that as well. That's another thing that I track.
1: Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Look, stage side leads usually happen really, really fast. So if you can track, we track, um, we build a referral tree, right? So that's another thing we could talk about. It's not, it's not really a numbers thing. So maybe for the people that aren't that numbers focused, this is a fun exercise. You build yourself a tree of the gigs that lead to other gigs, which leads to other gigs, right? And when you build a tree like that, you start to get a really good understanding of the true worth of a gig. So for example, I speak at content marketing world every year. Let's assume they don't pay me as much as they pay me normally for a keynote at any other event, you know. but I've spoken there a lot. It's a community I believe in. I love going to the events. So yes, I, I give them a discount, right? But here's the deal. I can actually tell you the value of going to content marketing world two years ago and how much business it's led to. So a free gig, let's say, let's say I got paid zero to do it, is now all of a sudden worth $250,000 in referral business. That's just the business I won. It's $750,000 if you consider the business we lost right now you start to understand the true value of one gig and instead of just saying well that sounds like a fun gig it's in italy i've always wanted to go to italy maybe i should take it you start having a really good analytical way to understand what's the value of a gig what gig does it look like is the italian gig just like the french gig you did last year because that generated zero dollars in revenue yes you had fun but maybe it's a busy time of year and you probably shouldn't take it that's that I, you know the numbers really help you take the emotion out of uh, a lot of the business side of the, uh, of speaking i think
0: so i don't think i've ever tracked it as as clearly as you're talking about but i do know that my career was launched and I tell this story all the time because of a, of a free thing that I did as a favor. In fact, when they first asked me to do it, I said no. And a friend said, remember you said, hold me one time, I owed you a favor. I'm calling in the favor. So I was the MC and this is, God, 12 years ago. I was the MC of the Austin IT Manager of the Year that Awards. That's awesome. Now, you can tell how exciting the Austin IT Manager of the we'll Year Awards great. was going to be. It was It was going to be, and it was like at three in the afternoon. It wasn't even like yeah. a, a banquet.
1: <laughs> it's not a night event. It was not,
0: there was no, you know, there wasn't an open bar. There was nothing you were kind of hoping for. And afterwards, something happened during the thing where I had to sort of improv to keep the audience engaged. And a gentleman walks up to me afterwards and goes, do you do this for a living? And I still had a full-time job. And I go, kinda. And he said, (laughs) he goes, you're a professional MC. And I said, no. And I kind of explained my speaking business or what I dreamed it was gonna be. And he said, my boss needs to know you. And he took my card and I really didn't give it any thought. And the next day I get right. a call and this woman goes, hi, my name is Mary Fran. I'm the editor of CIO Magazine and my employee, oh, Bob, yeah. Bob says, I need to know you and I don't know why. And so she and I talked and then she she emceed all her own events, but she liked this sort of conference catalyst thing that I did. CIO Magazine hired me 19 times and spun there off go. easily another dozen things. And I probably never would have had a there speaking career if it wasn't for that coming up at the time that it did. So that tree, because I never did track where else it went, but I know I spun events off of those. Yeah. And then I probably spun off from there and from there. So the value, exactly. the value of that original favor that I did had to be well into six
1: figures. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, you know, understanding that Tom is uh, you, first of all, just understanding it conceptually, like you do, like, Oh, I can see what you're talking about, but when you see it, it's even more powerful. You know, when you can actually track and say that was a 5k gig that led to a 10k gig that led to a $15,000 gig that led to five $15,000 gigs, you know, over the course of 10 years, you start saying to yourself, wow, a $5,000 gig, if it could do that five years ago, can do that now. And one of the things that we talk about actually in the referral Speaker is this invitation to think about fractals because what you'll find is even on your tree, you you kind of went down this IT tree, right? Um, and the trunk was CIO magazine, but there are probably you know t- tech security conferences, some little branch over here, like you know some tech uh, servers and cloud computing cl- thing over here, and that leads to more gigs. Well, the best part is if you can replicate your success from branch to branch to branch by taking the exact same strategy, even the exact same pricing, even the exact exact same speech, you can replicate your, your, you know, your, the exact approach to generate more and more business more often. So knowing your referral tree is a really,
0: really good one. All right. So we're tracking every possible metric we can track where we, we listened to Andrew on Speakernomics and we're like, Andrew yes. Davis said to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm tracking, I'm tracking, I'm tracking. Good. Your next tip was learn to love the numbers. I don't, I yeah. don't know. I'm, I'm not a numbers guy. I don't love the numbers. I'm not either.
1: Look, I'm like, I... No, I, I really, I know you think I'm like a numbers geek. I don't really love, you know, spreadsheets and playing around with numbers. Here's what I do love. I love the output and the, the, the calm feeling you get when you really think you want to do a favor for someone, or you really want to take this gig, or you really want to win the gig. And so you all of a sudden start making these irrational decisions. Cause you're like, Oh man, this sounds great. It would be so great for my career. If I spoke at this big, event. And, you know, I really want good pictures and I bet I could get a great video recording, but you know, it's low pay. It's, uh, it's on a Wednesday. Uh, it's, and all of a sudden you start thinking, maybe it's not the best decision. Maybe I should pass on this gig. And so when you learn to love what the numbers are teaching you, uh, not the numbers themselves and the decisions they empower you to make, you'll be much more confident in everything from sticking to your pricing and helping negotiate. For example, I think a lot of people talk about fee integrity um, as a real a cornerstone of being a great speaker. You stick to your fee, you deliver your fee, you don't uh, budge either way, and that's just the way it goes. And I believe in fee integrity, but I just mean in my version of it, uh, that that means there has to be a reason you're either increasing your fee or decreasing your fee. And so I don't have any problem telling someone, it, you know, if they got a great deal, because they I, I spoke for them for $500 in January, uh, you know, so in uh, on a the, Sunday, the, the, the On a Sunday. Yeah. If, if a referral comes to me from that event and I have to quote them $15,000 because it's May on a Wednesday, uh, you know, the busiest time of year for me. And I, I don't mind saying, well, they also didn't get books and they didn't get, you know, so we can cut all these things. And if you move your event to January 3rd, I could also do it for 500 bucks. So, you know, I think, I think we need to be smarter about leveraging the insight. We actually have a lot of us have a spreadsheet already of all the gigs we've ever done. We have phone numbers, we have dates, you know, we can get a lot of really basic insight that will empower you to stick to your numbers and negotiate better and actually build a better business very quickly.
0: So if you were a Muppet, you're saying you wouldn't have been the count. You're not a numbers guy. You're not going to count.
1: <laughs> I might have been, but I'd, I'd only count to 10 <laughs> and, then we'd start over and walk off. So, yeah, so if, if you I, weren't, I, I, I would have been super Grover.
0: <laughs> if you, so if you weren't the count, if numbers weren't your natural yeah. thing, yeah. How, how did you get into tracking the numbers and
1: loving the numbers? Oh, do you have somebody, you. do you have somebody who helps you? No, I don't. I, I look, I think if you generally need to like want to make a successful business out of this, you like, you could hire someone, but you need to know the questions to ask. And that's what happened to me in 2013 when I first started taking on a professional speaking career as like, Hey, I'm going to make a full-time living doing this. Uh, 2013, I don't know the exact numbers, but basically I I know the average at the end of the year was like, I made 15 bucks an hour for the year. Right. And I thought this is not really the kind of career I imagined building for myself. And I questioned whether I should continue doing speaking. I love it, but maybe it's just not right for me. And I, that's when I decided to start asking myself a bunch of questions. I actually have a list of the questions. I'll just read them to you. Like these, these are the legitimate questions I wrote down. How many people inquired about having me speak? What was their budget? When was their, Event? How many attendees came? Was it a corporate event, an association, or a nonprofit? How much did I quote? Did I win or lose the gig? What was my speaker rating on the event organizers' post evaluation? Who were the keynote speakers at the event? And what did they charge? How many days elapsed between the time of an inquiry comes in and the time they sign a contract contract? How often did I negotiate or reduce my fee? What were the busiest weeks of the year? What were the slowest weeks of the year? How did these event organizers find me? And I didn't have a spreadsheet. So I did what I had to do, which is go through email emails and look at my calendar and say, Oh, I spoke at this event. Did I negotiate? Let me read all the emails. What did I quote eventually? Right. But when I came out of it, I realized that the answer was pretty clear. If I wanted to make a successful business out of this, I had to stop customizing my speech. I had to focus on delivering one great speech that constantly delivered more and more referrals. And that would allow me to raise my fee much more rapidly so that by the end of the year, I was doing, you know, four or five times what I had done the year before. And that was the key to knowing that the numbers were the key to my success. It it was just a series of questions I had to have an answer to if I was going to continue building this business. Nice. All
0: right. As we wrap this up, we're thinking about sort of the science of building a business. Mm -hmm. What have we not covered that you wish every speaker knew that every speaker doesn't know?
1: Wow. I wish every speaker knew that your time is finite and you need to get paid as much as possible as often as possible for the days you're on stage. And when you start looking at the business from that perspective, I think it does start to change the way you think about driving revenue. Um, and where to focus your energy.
0: Awesome. So Andrew Davis, if people wanted to find yeah. out more about you or they want to find the referable speaker, your new book, how, how do they find you?
1: Yeah, they can find the referable speaker on Amazon. Just search for it there. Um, you can learn more about the book at the referablespeaker.com And actually, if you go there, you can link to both Michael and I on you know LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and wherever else we are. I do a YouTube series every week. So you can find me on YouTube. Just search Andrew Davis and the loyalty loop.
0: Awesome. Well, this has been a great interview. I know that I actually so took notes fun. while I was interviewing you, so I, <laughs> I I, know that those are the episodes. When I take notes, those are the episodes I know that the <laughs> listeners are going to be like, wow, how did you ever get Andrew That's Davis awesome. <laughs> on the show? So thank you so much for being here with us and thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I love being the host of Speakernomics. This has been so much fun and uh, we're not stopping anytime soon, so uh, keep tuning in every Tuesday for new episodes when we have people just as amazing as Andrew Davis, because we want you here every single week, because there's going to be thoughts, ideas, and actionable information on how to make more money as a professional speaker. And do me a favor, make sure that you subscribe to Speakernomics, and go leave one of those fancy reviews. And then never forget the motto of this podcast, speak, get paid, repeat.